great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. You're listening to the Watling and Owens Show on WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. I got to say, Matt, you know, I like this. I like this. We've got more time to, to flesh out our ideas, to sound like idiots. But we've got an hour and a half now to, to discuss everything going on in the New York sports world. And I really don't know who trusted us with this because the, the hour three days a week was, was even scary. I mean, you didn't know what was going to come out of our mouths. I was listening to a lot of our old uh, shows, too, and I think I might have sent, sent you one or two clips on Snapchat of just the most ridiculous things we've ever said, and they were just so nonsensical that I don't know why we're here. But, you know, there's still the same amount of us, which is what's interesting. And yeah. maybe by the time we get back into the swing of things later on in, in the break, depending on, on the job and things like that, maybe we'll try to sprinkle in a little Wednesday action. But Oh, yeah. We want to make sure that we're getting, giving you guys the bare minimum, which is three hours. You know, we promised you that from the start of this year, and that's what we're giving you guys. And look, I think the best part about the 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 ninety minute show is an extended odd man rush, and that's what we really missed from our two hour once a week show back uh, last year is the extended half hour. Some might call it a zothic odd man rush, and that's what we'll be bringing to the table tonight and every night for the rest of the break. And Matt's going to be leading us through the odd man rush at about 8 p.m. So, I mean, he just he just made a big promise to the people. I mean, he said that it's going to be a big odd man rush. So, I haven't Gotta even looked at right. it. Don't even have a sneak peek. I'm going in uh, at first glance. And, and, yeah, like you said, I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if we had, like, actual, like, passionate fans of our show that would go through and, like, find these compilations. Because, like you said, we've, we've said some pretty crazy stuff throughout the, the year. And it's always fun to look back on as it's time to – you know, get stuff ready for, for awards, for reels, for stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you get me and Matt, once again, three hours a week. So we're excited for that. And I got to tell you, there's not a better day, I think, to come back than today on this Monday. Because looking around the landscape of New York sports, especially New York football, it was just a chaotic weekend. You had the Giants knock off the Seahawks in an upset win, which we'll get to later. We had the Bills playing tonight on Monday Night Football. They'll they'll kick off right towards the end of our show, so we also have that. But we start with one of the craziest games of the year with the biggest implications, I think, ever of a team that was 0-11 going into the game, the New York Jets and the Las Vegas Raiders. The Jets looked like they were going to come away with their first win of the season. It was kind of a back-and-forth game. It always felt like the Raiders were in it, but they got the ball back with not a lot of time on the clock, just under a minute. And Derek Carr, 46-yard touchdown to Henry Ruggs, the third with, I believe, five seconds left on the clock at that point. And the big story to come from that is, what in the world was the Jets' defense doing? 
They rushed basically eight. Uh, they rushed eight. They dropped three. They played engage eight, essentially, which is what you do on Madden when you're trying to get to the quarterback. The Raiders needed a touchdown on that play. They had no timeouts, and you knew they were taking a shot at the end zone. And yet the Jets dropped. They blitzed eight, and they dropped three, and it ends up biting them in the butt. It was so ridiculous. Um, again, the, the first comment I had on this game was why. Just why. And and look, that was the game as a Jets fan growing up. I haven't been more invested in a game like that since maybe the Fitzpatrick year when they went 10-6. and six. I mean, that was an exciting game that – for Jets fans, I think you kind of hope that it ends on the previous drive for the Raiders when you had that fourth and three. They're right there in the red zone. There's about a billion penalties that the Jets defense takes to bail out the Raiders. And that's when you want them to score that touchdown. It still gives the Jets a little bit of time left, but also you're not in utter shock. I mean, I have never been louder for a Jets game. And, and unfortunately for Jets fans, you're rooting for the Jets to lose. And that's almost the saddest part about this game where you saw Sam Darnold do some nice things, but... At the end of the day, you're, you're coming away rooting against your Jets. Yeah, it's kind of like that New England game on Monday night a few weeks ago where you're like, all right, well, the Jets competed, but they didn't win. That's the most important thing. And that's kind of how it felt because you looked over in Minnesota with the Jaguars going back and forth, going to overtime with Minnesota. It's like, well, if the if the, if the Jets win, you better hope the, the Jaguars win too. Jaguars end up losing, but so do the Jets. And obviously the, the biggest point of contention is that last play call where the Jets rush a – and at the end of it all, uh, you had some criticism coming out from Marcus May about the play. Uh, Adam Gase was questioning it as well. And because of that, Adam Gase fires defensive coordinator Greg Williams. And this is this is a lot to unpack because, you know, Greg Williams, say what you want about him, Bounty Gate, all that was terrible. He's a solid defensive coordinator in the NFL. He did a great job last year with the Jets, I thought keeping them basically in the top 10 all year. This year, not so much, but again, they traded away Jamal Adams. They traded away Leonard Williams. They had a lot of young pieces on that defense this year. And again, they weren't great this year, but let's not pretend that the Jets offense has done anything. You know, we talked about that earlier in the year. The defense time and time again had to bail them out. So not saying it's the wrong decision to fire Greg Williams, but it's kind of weird given the fact that, you know, he kind of helped them in a way here by, by this play call. But I'm just wondering, you know, what was with the play call? Because he obviously... You can't call that in that situation, and he knows that. So there's something had to have went wrong in that last couple moments of that game. This is the problem with the Jets, and it goes beyond their coaching. It goes all the way up to their ownership where the head coach and the GM are linked together. They're on the same level, meaning the head coach, like Adam Gase did this uh, two off-seasons ago, can go to Woody Johnson or Christopher Johnson in this case and say, I don't like Mike McCagnan. This is why. Go fire him. Same thing can happen with the with the coordinators to some extent, where Greg Williams was basically a head coach for your defense. Adam Gase did not touch the defense. He was forced to work with Greg Williams. That's who Christopher Johnson handpicked to be his defensive coordinator. That's why the Jets couldn't sign Matt Rule as a head coach. And the thing that's so crazy is that now he's fired one and two. Any football mind in their right mind is not making that play. So Adam Gase at the time should have called a timeout should have questioned the play and figured it out from there. But that's the problem with the Jets is that there's no accountability because there's no one above each other. And my biggest concern, Luke, is that it was Adam Gase doing the firing. A lame duck head coach that's going to get fired in four weeks would not fire, or would not have the chance to fire the defensive coordinator. 
It would be Joe Douglas's move to fire the defensive coordinator or Christopher Johnson's move to fire the defensive coordinator. And I'm scared, and Jets fans should be scared, that Adam Gase won't get fired because there's a good chance that he stays here next year, even if there's no in 16 season. And I think that has to be the biggest concern right now if you're a Jets fan. I mean, from all signs, and we've kind of talked about it, you especially over the last few weeks, we've kind of talked about, well, you know, it kind of feels weird that Adam Gase is still around. To me, you know, once you pass that kind of week five, week six, week seven, when you're 0-5, 0-6, 0-7, it's like, if you don't make that decision then, it's kind of like, is there really a point of keeping Adam Gase around unless he's staying past this year? Because the way I see it right now is Adam Gase, yes, he gives them the best chance probably to go 0-16, which is, you know, it's something that, that people laugh about, but it's probably true the way that he's coached this team this year. They're probably going 0-16 as long as he's that coach. But like you said, if he's the lame duck coach, if he's on his way out after this year, why is he allowed to make these calls? And that's the biggest problem with this team is that Adam Gase should not have his, his fingerprints on this team. And Greg Williams, a guy that was in contention for possibly a head coaching job with the Jets uh, if Gase was fired. Now he's obviously off the table. Like everything to me right now screams that there is a, a good chance that Adam Gase comes back this year. You know, this could all be eyewash. This could just be the, the Jets allowing it to happen. But then when, you know, when things kind of settle down in the offseason, he's gone. And that would be great for Jets fans. But it just feels like maybe they're going to run this thing back next year. It does, and, and the couple of the, the reasons that I've seen it, and first off, everyone's saying this is a fait accompli that Gase is getting fired. A lot of shows, a lot of people are, and look, I want to believe it, but with Christopher Johnson at the helm, you just don't know. You really don't. And the things that I kind of look at as to why Gase won't get fired is Joe Douglas owns him, or owes him for getting him the job. Sam Darnold wasn't his quarterback. Darnold was a McCagnan Bowles quarterback. And yes, Gase has had two years. And yes, Darnold will be or should be a very good NFL quarterback. But that wasn't Gase's pick. And finally, every single person on this roster, from on this in this franchise, from Sam Darnold to Joe Douglas, blames the players and the roster construction for their losses, not Adam Gase. Why is that? Yeah. Why? Every, every single week at the podium... You know, whether it be, like you said, Sam Donald, whether it be Frank Gore, you know, this week may be a little bit different. I thought players were a little bit more willing to speak up, but that's against Greg Williams. It's not going against Adam Gase. And that's the thing. And, and maybe Sam Donald is realizing in the back of his mind that if Adam Gase is gone, you know, I might be out on the out as well. Not that that's fair to Sam Donald, but he might almost have become attached to Adam Gase in a way that he didn't want to be attached. Like you said, he's not, you know, Gase's quarterback is going to come in most likely next year, whether it be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, someone like that. And that's going to get really hairy if Adam Gase is still around. But like you said, I mean, the players have, have you know, again, they're in a spot where they're under Adam Gase. They're not going to come out and come at his head. But at the same time, I mean, Darnold has said all year long, we have to execute better. Other players have said the players need to be better. The roster needs to be better. Not a lot of blame going on to Adam Gase in that front office or with the players. And I think that's a major point of concern if you're a Jets fan. But to bring it back to Greg Williams, the players – criticized Greg Williams after that game. Sam right. Darnold said it's hard to fathom losing a game like that. He was asked if the players were mad at Greg Williams, and his response was, it is what it is. <laughs> there's clearly a reason. There's clearly some frustration. We've never seen Sam Darnold speak like this. This is him saying, you really screwed up, Greg Williams. This, that's, that's Sam Darnold code or, or dialect for 
this was real bad because he's usually a guy that never gives blame. So if they've done it, they've done it. Marcus May says the same thing. I felt like we could have been in a better call in that situation. So they're doing it now. I wonder if that extends to Adam Gase at some point or if it's just the same or if you just don't criticize your head coach like that. that that's the biggest question to me. And the reaction to this play in this scenario were so crazy. People were thinking, oh, they're tanking. You know, this was on purpose. All this stuff. And, and Scott Van Pelt brought up a great point on Twitter and said, you're not playing 59 minutes and 45 seconds of this game this close and playing and trying this hard to tank in the last 15 seconds. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But again, this has literally never happened in the, in the entire course of, of the NFL or as long as people can remember and as long as people have, have taken down data because I saw this floating around you included in the pre-show meeting where this is the first time since 2006 where any team has rushed seven plus with it being the final 15 seconds of the game, a four to eight point lead, 40 plus yards to the end zone. It's the first time in over 250 plays that a team has done this. Like when you go, when you play Madden and this scenario is coming up, you know, they're running a Hail Mary or a four verticals. You know, the receivers are going deep. They're running in a straight line. They're going to the end zone. Everyone knows that you play prevent, you play three men up you or three men under, you have to do something to contain this play. And the Jets didn't do it. Like, that's the craziest part to me, and that's what I just I just can't wrap my brain around it. And I wish Greg – I didn't even hear what Greg Williams had to say if he even had any comment because I just – I don't understand what went into this play. Like, it, it just – none of it made any sense at the end of that game. Like, all you have to do is sit back. You know, it's, this isn't the, the Hale Murray situation. This isn't the, the Monday Night Football game between Seattle and Green Bay a few years back where it's – everyone's in the end zone. It's a crazy play and a great catch. This is just – ridiculous that this happened like you literally left your your rookie corner and Lamar Jackson out to dry on that play a guy that's significantly slower than Henry Ruggs playing a one-on-one coverage on the outside like yeah sure I don't believe that Greg Williams is trying to tank because it, it costs him his job and I'm sure he cares way more about his job than he cares about the Jets getting Trevor Lawrence it's just crazy to me that this play even happened in the first place a uh, friend of the show Brandon Ladd of uh of sports hour fame tweeted Lamar Jackson ran a 4.58 40-yard dash. Henry Ruggs ran a 4.27. So he's clearly faster. Yeah. And then you add in the, the Ruggs stutter step and, and that move that sent him off. Why, why is this the play? This is a play that you're running with two rookie cornerbacks and Marcus May as you're going one-on-one. There, there's no reason, there's no way on this green earth that that play works. There just isn't. Because Carr's got the talent. He's got the guts to step up in a collapsing pocket if you make pressure. And not a single player of the eight touched De- uh, Carr. That's almost impossible. It's impossible. And and the thing that's also kind of adds to that is it was eight versus seven. So there were seven guys blocking, three running, and then obviously the quarterback on the offense. And it, just, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. This does not make sense to me as a play. It was mind-blowing. It was, I mean, like you said, the reaction of this game online was was crazy because, I mean, between that, what's going on in Jacksonville, like it was, it felt like the most crucial five minutes of the Jets season. And, and like you said, it's weird as a Jets fan because you're rooting for them to lose, but it's like, you know, if they win that game, you know, what's the reaction then? You know, does it say anything about Sam Donald who – you know, he had an up and down game, but he, he let he gave the Jets a chance to win that game. You know, he had a few turnovers, which 
not completely his fault. Makai Becton got beat a couple times. The interception was kind of ugly. He had a few bad plays, but you saw some good things out of him as well. And I'm not saying one win against the Raiders. Uh, you know, a good team, a 7-5 and five team, but I don't know if one win against the Raiders saves Sam Darnold as the, the franchise quarterback going forward. But I wonder if that would have opened a different conversation. I wonder if the perception of the Jets going into this week would have been different because, you know, if the Jets win that game and, you know, it doesn't mean they don't get the number one pick, but it means that the Jaguars are in a, a better spot. They have that kind of one game advantage. You know, would they go out and compete against a team like the Patriots in week 17 if they knew they weren't getting the number one pick? You know, we could have seen some things out of Sam Darnold these next few weeks, but now it's like you almost want him to play poorly down the stretch. So he's in this I mean, impossible situation. I mean, they're still competing. You know, say what you want, they're not tanking. I think sure, that but I, last week proved it to him. And to me, one win does change the narrative. Maybe not on is Sam Darnold a legitimate quarterback, but these Jets are not taking Justin Fields. You don't take Justin Fields if you have Sam Darnold. You take the once-in-a-lifetime generational talents. And there's not enough of those. You take the Kyler Murrays, who Kyler Murray... He's been quieted, right? He hasn't looked amazing the last couple weeks with the Cardinals. Neither has their whole team, but that's still that's still a risk. And if Sam Darnold wins one more game, that might be enough to get the second overall pick and not take a quarterback. And and that's the one thing that I feel awful for for Sam Darnold. And and rooting against the Jets was weird because I like Sam Darnold. I like him as a quarterback. I'm out of our, you love out Sam of this Darnold. show. I'm the biggest Sam Darnold apologist that there is. I think he will make a great NFL quarterback. But how could you not want the top pick? How could you not want to go 0 and 16 if you're a if you're a guy or if you're the Jets that want a Trevor Lawrence? You know, this is a bad team. There's a lot of holes on this team, but I think the biggest hole for me is still coaching. And I hate that we talk about it every single week, but it bears repeating because Sam Darnold to me. He showed something this week. He did. He didn't look great. He did not look amazing. Three turnovers. We kind of mentioned it before. 13 of 24, I believe was the number. 60% not great. 186 passing yards on 14 completions is not bad. He showed some guts with a rushing touchdown. It was not the best. But he had a really good first quarter and a solid second half. But my biggest question, and we'll go to the, the offense still, is this was the first time that the Jets had a 100-yard rusher in Ty Johnson in the Adam Gase era. And the only reason he got there was because Frank Gore was out on the second play of the concussion. And the Raiders offense defense is really bad. But you've got a guy rushing for over 100 yards, and I barely knew he existed. And we've covered this team every single week. Is that because the defense was that bad? Or is Ty Johnson something special? And that feels like what we learned with Chris Herndon a couple of years ago when he was getting the targets. And you're like, oh, he looks pretty good. Nope, not actually. He was just getting the volume. So why is it that this guy is the one getting touches down and looks good? Yeah, it's a weird scenario because Ty Johnson's a guy that, you know, when he got drafted by Detroit last year, or, or 2019, I should say. So, yeah, last year. It was kind of an interesting pick. You know, the Lions have a, a very revolving door of running backs. Like, I don't think this is really anything that's going to be a pattern that, that stays because, I mean, even even with uh, Ty Johnson, Josh Adams, another backup running back, had a good game. Eight carries for 74 yards, long of 25. Like I think it's just a matter of uh, the Raiders' defense in this scenario. But, I mean, a lot of this game, I think, comes down to coaching because 
when you look at the Jets offense and and the receivers fully healthy, I think this is a, a decent team uh, offensively with, you know, if Darnold's playing well, this is a good receiving core. They haven't been healthy this year. But why does, you know, why is Denzel Mims only getting three targets? You know, he has two catches for 40 yards. It seems like every single week he has a great couple first drives. And we're talking about Denzel Mims. He's a great player. Why does he get targeted three times? You know, Jameson Crowder gets targeted seven times fine. He's probably your your best bet in the short yardage. It just feels like the, the play calling is, is not designed for these players to, to succeed, like you said. And it does come down to coaching. And that's one thing I brought up last night while I tweeted about it is you want to you talk about NFL coaching and how important it is. Look at the, the way the Giants are playing right now and the way the Jets are playing right now. Because from week one, we knew the Giants were going to compete for Joe Judge every single week. Never once did it cross our minds that the Jets were going to compete for Adam Gates. He's not – you know, you don't have to be this rah-rah head coach, but the Jets weren't going to compete for him. They didn't look like they wanted to play for him after the first two weeks. And the Giants, you know, they had a miserable start as well, but they rallied behind their coach. They rallied behind their locker room. And I don't think the talent uh, gap is that huge between the Giants and the Jets. I think the Giants are better. I don't think the talent gap is that big. I think a lot of it does come down to coaching. And the Jets just haven't had that this year. But didn't we think at the start of the season, and we'll try to wrap things up here shortly, we're up against the clock, but didn't we think the Jets had a better team? Didn't we, we say, did. well, I didn't. I think the Giants were better. But didn't most people think, and I don't think you you were fully sold on the Jets either, but didn't most people think the Jets were better? Didn't they think, oh, they're bringing back a top 10, top 15 defense? Oh, the Giants defense was awful last year? So it's all in coaching. It is. I mean, Sam Donald has been detracted because of a guy in Adam Gase. Daniel Jones, he's gotten better from week one to now. Joe Judge has coached him up. Jason Garrett has coached him up. But Adam Gase is doing the opposite. And, and I hate talking about coaches because we do it pretty much every single Monday, but it bears repeating. Sam Donald would be an actual NFL quarterback if he had an, a competent coach. Because you would see him run more play actions, like like Baker Mayfield does. You would see him scramble a little bit more, get out of the pocket. You would see him get to use Lev Bell, who's, say what you want, maybe he's not the most talented, but he's still a big name that has to be defended. You're listening to the Watling and Owens Podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Wilding and Owen show. As we talked about before the break, the New York Giants, I mean, a few weeks ago, it seemed like they were left for dead. They started off 0-5, and it was kind of the, the you know, they could keep pace in the NFC East if they, if they win these games, and, you know, they could only beat Washington. But now they've won four in a row, and this week I think was the most impressive because it's a 17-12 win over the Seahawks. I mean, Seattle's a good team, especially offensively. You know, the defense, there's some question marks there for sure, but this is a really impressive win for the Giants. You don't have Daniel Jones. There's a lot of questions going on the road against the Seattle team, a game that, you know, I chalked up as a loss going into it. I thought there was no chance. I mean, Colt McCoy's at quarterback, uh, as we mentioned. It just didn't seem like they'd be able to to make enough stops. But the Giants' defense was fantastic. They, they kept Russell Wilson in check all day. He looked uncomfortable in the pocket basically every single play. And, you know, it's an early, early career for Joe Judge, but this has to have been his statement win so far. This was certainly a statement. I think listening back, the, the Colombo situation that we talked about a couple weeks ago, they responded, man. This isn't an arrogance thing anymore to me. You know, look, he's five and seven, but he's right there on the cusp. And I think he'll break 500 by the end of this season. But the, the thing to me which is so crazy, 
is how quickly narratives change. And there were people in, in Giants fans and, and people on radio and on talk shows saying that no one wants to face this team in the playoffs, parading the five and seven Giants. And can we just pump the brakes a little bit, please? Can we please just hold up a little bit? And don't get me wrong, this was an amazing win. Phenomenal. But there's... But is there a chance that they just scheme Seattle really well? Like, it, you know, you can't win a game with 17 points more often than not. You play this game 10 times, you're probably not winning 17... You're not probably not winning with 17 points more than twice. No, so I just, you're not. But it's hard to explain because, like, look, their defense is really good. It's probably a top five, top ten defense. And their offense with Daniel Jones is much better than this. But they're five and seven. Right? Like, or do we call them five and two? Which that was what they are in their last seven games. Like, what what do you like? Am I crazy? Or do we think do you think people need to pump the brakes? Because there's just they look good on paper or on the field, but on paper, I keep going back to who's really on this defense. You know, is Joe Judge the guy that can make this team a contender in year one? I think, you know, there's something to be said for pumping the brakes, and I think you're right. You know, we shouldn't be parading this this team around right now. But, I mean, you got to give a little credit where credit's due. And, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but this team just, they feel a little bit like those Giants teams that snuck into the playoffs and, and made a deep run with Eli Manning. You know, they have a great defense which is led by their their defensive line. You know, I'm not saying Dexter Lawrence uh, and Leonard Williams are Jason Pierre-Paul or Michael Strahan of years past, but this is a really good defensive line. This is a good defense, a great linebacker in Blake Martinez, one of the best corners in the game in James Bradbury. And they have a quarterback that, you know, when he's healthy, Daniel Jones, very similar to Eli Manning, you know, maybe a game manager, but he can make a big play when he needs to. Daniel Jones with the, the advantage in the leg department, maybe not the arm department when compared to Eli Manning, but, they kind of have that feel of those giant teams of year past, years past. I'm not saying that they're going to make a run at the Super Bowl. They just they feel a little bit similar to those teams. But this is the Daniel Jones that we just talked about three weeks ago that had turnovers in all but four games or two games. And those two games were against the same Washington football team. This was just a month ago, not even. Like, I think they've already locked up the division. I'm comfortable saying that. They're the best Ooh. team in the division. This is a big win. All right, and, and I haven't been able to watch the Washington football team game because we don't have cable in, in our in our uh, our exercise room where I, where I am right now. So I don't know what the score is on that one. But the Giants already have the tiebreak over them. You know, Dallas plays Baltimore tomorrow night. I'd be shocked if Dallas wins that game. And then the Eagles, they just benched Carson Wentz yesterday. So it's not a hot take that the Giants are going to win this division. Could they win a game? Sure. But this is the same Daniel Jones that was throwing interceptions and fumbling left and right for the first eight weeks of the season. And you, you just, you can't tell me that that just goes away. You can't, it they, 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 that guy is still there. It's been four weeks and he missed two of them. There was a bye week a couple weeks ago. And then this week in which he didn't have turnovers. Like, and I, I hate doing this because I like this Giants team. I love their defense. I've been in on them with the, on the gambling front. That's why I I'm very surprised. I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say this. I just, I, think think... I'm, I just think I'm kind of sick of the, the quick pivot from this team is awful, fire everybody, you know, fire Dave Gettleman to the sun, to this team could win the Super Bowl. <gasps> this team could be the teams from years past. 
You know, Eli Manning, you know, if he was reincarnated, he'd be reincarnated into Daniel Jones. They're the same, you know, strange, awkward white boy. But you know, I'm, just, I'm, leaning, I'm just leaning into it. I'm leaning into it. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. And, and you're right. And I'm a guy that a few weeks ago was very – I was very off on Daniel Jones. I, I it's, it's been documented. I, I'm not the biggest – you know, Daniel's unbeliever. I think he's an average quarterback. I think he can make plays, but I think, like you said, I think the turnovers are still going to be an issue. I mean, you know, he's gone a few games without them, and obviously he didn't play this last week, but you're right. There is still that Daniel Jones inside of him, and I think that's the biggest issue. But the question is, you know, can the Giants prepare for a game like this in the playoffs? You know, a game where you know you're going against a, a guy like Russell Wilson or, you know, an Aaron Rodgers, it's tough to scheme against those guys. And obviously, once you've already played Seattle once, they're going to know how you're going to prepare against them the next time. But, I mean, it's interesting because right now they're matched up to play Seattle once again in the first round of the playoffs. They, they're going to host a playoff game if they win the NFC East, which is obviously uh, another crazy part of it. And I'm not saying they're going to make some noise in the playoffs, but they definitely have some some dangerous pieces on that team. And I think they're a fun team. I think they're playing with a lot of momentum. They don't have anything to lose. I mean, what, what do they lose from – making a run at the division from losing a playoff game. You know, they're gaining experience. We saw, we talked about that a few weeks ago. We said, you know, if they go in there and, and play a close game and get some experience, that's going to be a plus for the Giants going forward. You know, they're not, they don't want to go in there and lose 40 to seven, but if they go in there, they play a tight game. Even if they lose by a field goal, by a touchdown, you're gaining some valuable lessons. And I think that's the biggest thing right now is this is a young Giants team. I mean, they're going to return most of this core for the years to come, you know, minus Saquon Barkley, who's obviously out right now, but, these are meaningful games, and they're playing meaningful games in December. And I think that's a big step forward from where we saw this team, you know, a month or two ago. Uh, Mike Sando of The Athletic wrote a really interesting piece on the cost. You know, you said, what do you have to lose? Well, you could lose a top 10 pick. And I think the team that this, that this Giants team reminds us of most is the Seattle Seahawks back in 2010. 7-9 right. record. They upset the New Orleans Saints in the, first, in the wild card round. And they would have had the eighth pick in that draft had they lost in week 17. You could have had Tyron Smith, J.J. Watt, Robert Quinn. Instead, you get James Carpenter, who, as he writes, did not earn a second contract from the team. So you've got something to lose. But when you look at this team further, they don't have as many holes as we thought they did at the start of the season. You love what James Bradbury is doing. You know, Logan Ryan's been tremendous, and you expect those guys to resign. You've got some money in, in – you've got some cash space. Sign those guys. Your defensive line is really solid. And also, it's schemed so beautifully. I sent you the tweet, Luke, where it was – oh, who was it? It was Tay Crowder and it was uh, Leonard Williams. And they did some kind of stunt or a, or a pivot, and they flipped around and switched sides and crisscrossed, which led to Tay Crowder being unblocked and Leonard Williams picked up three blockers. So you have the defensive line that – Maybe he's the most talented, although Leonard Williams looks amazing, but also schemed very well to create sack and create pressure. All that aside, you know, this is a team that we didn't think had the talent. Can you sustain good coaching and continue to improve them talent-wise? Or is it going to fall off? You know, are you going to sustain the culture or are you going to lose a lot of guys to free agency? And, and the, the, the second kind of point of note or that's interesting to me is, is Saquon Barkley. And kind of tied to that is Dave Gettleman. If they make the playoffs and they're seven and nine, or they're eight and eight, how do you get rid of Dave Gettleman? I think it'd be impossible. I mean, when you look at the moves that they made in the past, I mean, 
Daniel Jones is going to play a huge part of how they get on the stretch. And and that's, you know, that's a Gettleman guy. That's a guy that Gettleman likes. And you look at the, the defense, you know, Logan Ryan, like you said, great pickup by the Giants. That's the biggest fear to me because I'm not, you know, I, we've talked about it before. I'm not a huge Dave Gettleman guy. You know, I think he's, you know, he looks at football a different way and it's kind of working out this year. And, you know, that's even a bigger question is, you know, how do they even handle Saquon Barkley going forward? Because you expect with him in, they'd be putting up, you know, just as good numbers. But Wayne Gallman looks like he's a serviceable running back in the NFL. And I'm not saying he's going to be a number one going forward. But, you know, this might get him a nice contract from a different team. You know, that could be a valuable piece you lose. It's it's important to have, you know, two running backs. You know, even if you have a, a real bell cow in Saquon Barkley, you know, he got hurt this year. You want to have another guy to split touches with him. And maybe you can find a guy like Wayne Gallman, you know, anywhere. You can pick him up anywhere. But, you know, that's, you know, that kind of questions the, the value of Saquon Barkley when you have Wayne Gallman putting up these great numbers. So there's definitely a lot of questions for the Giants. But I just feel like in this moment right now, I don't know. I just, I, I just got to be impressed with what they're doing. And, and I have said things about Daniel Jones in the past, and, and I don't take any of them back. And I still think there's kind of that, uh, that guy in there, like you said, that's going to make these, these turnovers, these mistakes. But at the end of the day, they're playing really well right now. They're five and two in their last seven. They've won four in a row. I mean, this is a really solid team going forward that could, you know, make some noise in the first couple rounds. But they're not going to win the NFC. I'm not saying that, but I will say this is, this is a fun team to watch. But also, they could win the NFC. Like, I know I'm just erasing nah. what I said. You would need Daniel Jones to have the, the game of his life is what you need. Daniel Jones turns the ball over less than one time a game in the playoffs, they could win the NFC. They could. Their defense is probably the best in football. And maybe that doesn't help you over the course of several years like we saw with the Bills and some other teams with sustainability issues. But for right now, in a weird season like this, when you've got a strong head coach – that knows how to manage his players and they play for him, why not? Because you look at teams I'm, – I'm trying to think of the, the teams, but I'd – say, I'd say they're a comparable team to the Seattle teams that won the Super Bowl. I mean, Russell Wilson's better than Daniel Jones, yes, but the way that the, that the Seahawks played was run the ball and play great defense. You know, the Giants aren't a region of boom defense, but Russell Wilson would limit turnovers. They'd run the ball with Marshawn Lynch. They'd make big plays when they had to, but their defense was really kind of the catalyst there. You know, I'm not saying they're, not, they're the same team, but I think that's an interesting kind of comparison to look at. And also, wouldn't you want Joe Judge to be your head coach where you're navigating through COVID and you've seen with certain teams like Tennessee that hasn't been able to handle it great, like Denver, and I guess Baltimore. like Baltimore. Joe, Joe Judge, I don't think there's been a single real COVID outbreak on, on the Giants. Just that Nor one weird scenario with Jones and Barkley. That was that was that was a day. That oh, was the thing that happened. Talking yeah, that, that was the thing that happened. So what, was it no Lughead? DJ Lughead. That I I called him DJ Lugnut repeatedly, yes, which would have been a great name. Great man, uh, one might add. But <laughs> this, look, this is a team that I I, I see it both ways because I don't like jumping to conclusions, and we've got to take a, a pump the brakes a little bit. But if this team continues to show up game after game like they played yesterday and like they played last week, or it's not really last week, but a couple weeks ago with with, Joe, with uh, Daniel Jones, why not them? When's their next loss? I when mean, is, I think that I think if this you can weekend, limit the Seattle Seahawks to twelve points and you can consistently develop schemes that work, maybe not to that extent, but to limit teams to 21, 24 points. I think Daniel Jones can put up enough points with that offensive line improving. 
with the weapons he has right now. And and that's why I think this weekend is going to be so interesting because they're they're running into a Cardinals team that's trending down. They're trending up. You know, people are going to be all all about the Giants going into this week. And you know, you have to show up when you when when expectations increase, your play has to increase as well. You know, more people talking about the Giants than they were for the past two months. You know, more people thinking that this team could make some noise that they can show up week in week out. If you have Daniel Jones in this game. You have to show up. I mean, this is a Cardinals team. Like I said, they're not playing well lately, but Kyler Murray is not easy to scheme for. And this will be another challenge for the Giants going forward. You know, I'm not saying that they're gonna that they're not going to to go three and one or, or finish eight and eight or nine and seven. But I don't think the Cardinals are a gimme win. I don't think the Browns are going to be uh, an easy task. Even the Ravens, I don't think are easy. You know, these are three tough games coming up that I think we're going to learn a lot about the Giants. So I love the way they're playing right now. Really interested to see how they how they kind of respond to hopefully getting Daniel Jones back this weekend. But for the Cardinals, they're in the same boat as as the the Giant baby. You've got a second year quarterback or a young quarterback. You've got a young head coach. And what have they shown us? What did they do last year? Nothing. They started off hot this year, but what are they now? What have you done for me lately? As people like to say, right now the Giants their stock is through the roof, and the Cardinals. They're falling faster than oil prices. Yeah. That, that's brutal. That, that, that's Something. just awful. What's falling no. fast? They're falling no. faster than a skydiver that forgets to pull the parachute. Is that better? There you go. That, that's a little so, bit better. And, and it, it, it's true. What has Arizona shown to us that, they've, that they're a legitimate team to be scared of in compared to the Giants? They Nothing. haven't. I'm not... They haven't proven anything to us. Right, they haven't, and that's why I think the Giants need to win this game. That, that's basically what I'm saying, is why I think the Giants need to win that game. Is because, I mean, if you take out the Hale Murray, the, the Cardinals would have lost five games in a row. Instead, they've lost four out of five. But, yeah, like you said, so that's going to be, I think, a good test for the Giants team. You're listening to the Watling & Owens Podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Wally and Owens show and Buffalo Bills eight and three on the year still needing to stack up wins with Miami right on their tail taking on the five and six 49ers on Monday Night Football. I got to tell you, Matt, the game moved to Arizona. I'm already I'm already annoyed by the the amount of times we're going to have to see the Hail Murray today. I'm already I'm already annoyed. Yeah. Have you seen it yet? Today? That's the question. Not yet, but I'm assuming that as soon as I turn to ESPN, it's going to be the first thing I see. Like that, That's just the feeling I'm getting right now. And I get it. It's the same stadium, but come on. It's a different team. It's a, it's a new scenario. And you would say uh, a real fun thing for us as, the, uh, as our picks continue to roll in? What's that? The line. Oh, yeah. Move Big movement. From. We had them at Bills minus one and a half. It is now flipped. To Niners one and a half, and and that's the downside. We picked pretty early. We picked on a Thursday. We lost the weekend batting lines, but I don't understand how this moves this significantly. I I don't really understand it. You know, sure the Niners have a good defense, but Josh Allen's an MVP candidate, or was the first couple weeks of the season. He's real talented, and in so many games, you pick the quarterback more than the defense or the team in general, and this is what this game feels like to me. Yeah, it's it's who do you trust more to make a play between Josh Allen and Nick Mullins, and I think one of the reasons why this line has moved so much is people know the Bills' run defense hasn't been good, and, you know, the 49ers are typically a good run offense. You know, they have Raheem Mostert back, 
But even when Mostert's, you know, fully healthy, you know, it's not like he's had a high volume of touches, you know. He's averaging 69 yards per game, five yards per carry, which are good numbers in yards per carry, but it's not like he's putting up over 100 yards. I mean, the 49ers offense is tw- is 17th in the run game. It's not like they're, they're putting up special numbers. It's just people assuming that they're going to run the ball the whole game, which would give the, the Bills some problems. But even last week against the Chargers, they did a good job stopping Austin Eckler. So I think that's one of the reasons why this this line has moved so much is just people are are dead set on the 49ers just running ball down the Bills' throat. But if they're going to do that, just stack the box with, with eight guys. Like, it's not that difficult of a concept. The Bills' secondary has gotten better. The linebackers have improved severely the last couple weeks. Just throw six, seven guys in the box, and there there's your resolution. Raheem Mostert is a good running back, but he's not a Saquon Barkley or a Christian McCaffrey game changer. Stack the box. He's not Derrick Henry. Make him, make them beat, make Nick Mullins beat you. And I think the Bills coaching staff is smart enough to make that a reality. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is you have to make Nick Mullins beat you. Even last week against the Chargers, the Bills made, they tried to make, you know, Justin Herbert beat them and he he failed. They brought a lot of pressure. I think that's been the biggest change for the Bills these last few weeks is they're bringing a lot of pressure at the quarterback. They're not afraid to rush. They're not afraid to trust their, their corners in single coverage. You know, not in, in Greg Williams type scenarios where you need to drop back, but they they picked their 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 scenarios to rush the quarterback, and I think that's the biggest thing. And this is the first time all year, Bills have no injuries. Their only injury is John Brown, who is on IR still, who miss at least next week. But to have a fully healthy defense for the first time this year, I think we're going to really finally see you know what this Bills defense is made of. And I don't want to say it's an asterisk to who you're playing, but you're playing Nick Mullins, so it's a good thing to kind of ease your defense into where it's Nick Mullins, you know, it's, it's no world beater at quarterback. Nick Mullins, the guy that you would, would uh, request people to start in fantasy leagues. Allegedly. You have no idea how bad I feel <laughs> after doing that. So this is, for, this... the peop- for the people at oh. home, our, our good friend, AJ Batista of shooting the breeze fame is in our fantasy league and has not set his lineup for four weeks, at least self-admitted. He says, you know, I, I do it just to be part of something and, and kind of don't set the lineup. I, I did tell him to start his lineup or to, to start someone in place of him. Did I tell him that Nick Mullins or did I give him the Nick Mullins option? You said Nick Mullins or uh, Andy Dalton. Oh, I did? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. That's. I mean, to be fair, if you lose in this scenario and you're not playing him, you're playing Mike, you just have to beat him in the tiebreaker. If somehow Nick Mullins costs you, a ch- if, if that's what it comes to, do you really deserve to make – the so, in this league. so here's here's the the full scenario is that I have Lamar Jackson. I'm, I'm already locked, basically locked to beat Mike unless Justin Tucker drops like 18 points as a kicker. I'm, I'm good to beat Mike. But the tiebreaker is points. I have four more points than AJ on the year. So he would need Nick Mullins to essentially outscore Lamar by, I think, like eight points, which should not. It shouldn't happen. You're right. It should not happen. But for you to come in and, and tell him to start Nick Mullins, yeah, that's, a little, that's a little Bush League on your part. Just, just a tiny bit. I did not think he would beat Vanderbrook. I didn't. I didn't think he'd beat Jake. And I apologized profusely last night. I thought you were mad at me. You, you probably are a little bit. I, I was a little mad. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard it, I was a little bit angry. I got over it, though. You know, it's one of those things where I was like, you know what? It is what it is. My team's not that great. We're not going to make a lot of noise. And Lamar Jackson, he should be able to outplay Nick Mullins. Like, come on. But now I feel bad because I'm thinking, like, Lamar Jackson had COVID. Yeah. Like, what if he just forgot to play football like Cam Newton did? I know. It's a scary thought. It could happen. Lamar Jackson, 
he was great for you last year in fantasy. Very up and down this year. So I don't know. He's the I'm a little bit worried. Quarterback, though in fantasy, which is pretty good. Yeah, but I mean, I got him in the second round. Like you don't want the 11th ranked quarterback in the second no. round. I, you know, no. maybe that's on me. We know I'm not quite the drafter that you are in fantasy football. No. So you know, no one is. Look, I'm. I have the best record in the last two years. I'll yep, leave it that at that. True. No Our championship. championship but, no. You Can know I what, Matt? Profit We're even. Year? We're even yes. now. We are even now. Okay. Yes. Because. Yes. You did, I you may did have cost you a championship last year. You might have cost me a, play, a spot in the playoffs. So, you know what? Yes. We're, we're even. I'll, we'll call it even. I appreciate right. that. I'm glad you we'll talked bury the hatchet. into that. We'll bury the hatchet once and for all. But you know, If I win, to... I will give you a, a share of the profits. Well, I, I don't need that. I don't See, I don't need – it's okay. So I, it's not we're, the money thing. It's just the principle. It's the principle of it. I don't care about the money at all. Like, I mean, I care. Like, I like to win it. But it, I'd, I'd rather have the satisfaction of winning a fantasy championship than the money that comes with it. That's fair. And I, I, again, profusely apologize. Um, getting back to the Bills, though, <laughs> the, 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 people that, the, the reason why you, you come to the show is the Buffalo Bills. I don't know. I think people enjoy their fantasy talk a little bit, too. I don't know. I see, like, I don't like when people talk about their fantasy teams at all. That's I true. can't stand it. It's but the also, worst. like, that's kind of funny. Like, that's a funny story. Yeah. It's, it's more fun than fantasy. But um, right. moving on, this is a game that if you're a Bills fan – I don't feel like you're scared, but this game means so much that there is some nerves to it because you're playing the Niners, a team that's very beatable. But it's Monday night, and it's the stage, and it's the spotlight, and you haven't won on Monday night since 1999. Like, all these things that kind of come together where I'd be scared if I'm, if I'm the Bills. I really would. With Miami on your tail, with a lot of 9-3 and three teams, a lot of 8-4 teams as well, you've got to win this game. No, yeah, I agree, and I think it comes down to to quarterback play, like you said. I mean, Josh Allen was he wasn't he wasn't great last week. Eighteen of twenty four, one hundred fifty seven yards, a touchdown, interception. Again, last week the Bills wanted to establish a run, and they did. You know, Singletary eleven carries for eighty two, Moss nine for fifty nine. This feels kind of like they're almost not going in, in backwards fashion, but it's kind of like you know looking forward to the playoffs. If you're hosting a playoff game, it's snowing out, it's a little cold, the ball's wet you got to be able to run the ball. And I think the Bills want to make sure that they have that ability going into the playoffs because, you know, if Josh Allen's a little bit off early on in the game, you want to be able to, to to turn to Singletary, to turn to Moss, and give them enough touches throughout the year so they're ready for those scenarios. I think that's kind of what, what it's kind of boiling down to. It's, it's formulaic for the Bills. They need a good defense. And going into the playoffs, they either need Josh Allen to, to, to play at an MVP level, which we haven't seen MVP Josh Allen since probably week four, week five, or you need to establish a run. So I think they're kind of doing a good job setting up for – a postseason run. But also, I look at so many of these teams, and what's the common denominator for almost every single AFC, champ, AFC NFC championship team, every single team that wins the Super Bowl? It comes down to the quarterback making plays. You know, Patrick Mahomes this past, uh, last year. Two years ago, Tom Brady, I guess, was, was making the plays, right? Before that, who, who else is there? You know, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Russell Joe Wilson. Flacco, when he won in his run. I mean, that was that, that, but that was, what, why. 10 years ago? Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying. But can we also say that there's – I don't think there's a good enough defense like that Ravens defense, like the Giants defense from years ago. To me, it always comes down to your quarterback needs to play at an elite level. And you can run the ball all you want and play defense all you want. If you're the Bills and you're going up, up against Pash Mahomes, you can't rely on your defense to win you that game. No. It's like one you, stop. You just can't. It's got to be yeah. the offense. You've got you to, you know, move with – the Kansas City offense, which few few teams can do, and 
You need Josh Allen to show out on that. You know, can you run the ball? Absolutely. But when it's third and five, third and long, that's when the quarterback makes his money in the playoffs. And that's when Josh Allen has to really step up. And that's not even for this game. Because you could run the ball against the Niners and manage to win a game. You can keep track with Nick Mullins in this scenario. You can't do it against these the, the top-tier quarterbacks. And uh, like you said, Luke, this Bills team, while you, you can't look over teams, it looks like they're trying to prepare themselves for the playoffs and learn for the playoffs because they're a playoff team. And you've got to start playing like a playoff team, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and that's why, you know, you bring up an interesting point to, you know, a team like the Chiefs. You know, how do you attack that? Do you put all the – do you put the game in Josh Allen's hands? Do you say you're going to have to go back and forth with Patrick Mahomes, or do they try to run the ball, or do they try to hold on to the ball, keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands? But I think you want to you, – you need to trust Josh Allen enough to make big plays in the playoffs. And, you know, they did last year to, to almost to a fault. You know, we had a couple of, of plays that were a little bit questionable in that Texans game last year. And that's the biggest thing, you know, is watching the maturity of Josh Allen this year because, you know, this year he's made, you know, last week two very dangerous plays. One of them's intercepted. One of them, uh, he loses the ball. You know, these are these are plays that you can't make if you're a championship caliber team. And you look at the AFC right now and the landscape of the AFC, I still think the Chiefs are the best team. The Steelers are pretty dang good, you know, and I think the Bills fall right into that category under those two. And if they want to, you know, make a run, if they want to pull an upset in the playoffs, like you said, I mean, Josh Allen just needs to show – more maturity and more growth because we saw it early on in the year. And I think he's gotten a lot better as a passer, but he still just has that in the back of his mind where sometimes it's great. Sometimes it works out when he makes those dangerous plays, but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it costs the bills and you don't want it to cost you down the line. And, and let's look at it this way. The one game the chiefs lost this year was against the Raiders. Derek Carr threw for over 340 yards. Yeah. He out, he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. An extra touchdown, you know, equal interceptions, no fumbles on the other side. The, the Las Vegas Raiders scored more touchdowns through their quarterback, and that's how they won that game. So sure, you can run the ball as well as you can, and the, the Raiders ran it for over 140 yards as well, so they certainly had, had their number in all facets of that game. But it comes down to making plays with your arm because you can't just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. You're not going to go anywhere. You know, you need quick drives that can score you touchdowns. You can't go 15 plays... 10 minutes for a field goal or whatever it might be. You've got to score touchdowns. And I, and I think like we saw with the Raiders, the, the, the arm and the quarterback gives you the best chance to do it. Yeah. And when you look at even a game like that Denver game for Kansas city last weekend, you know, Denver tried to run the ball. They ran it 33 times, very successful, 179 yards. But at the end of the day, drew Locke threw two picks. He wasn't you know good enough to beat Patrick Mahomes and it's Patrick Mahomes making the plays on the stretch to give Kansas city that win. You know, it's, it's Mahomes making those plays on the stretch. You need your quarterback to make those plays. The Bills need Josh Allen. And they need his weapons to show out as well. I think Gabriel Davis, the rookie out of UCF, he's a big factor tonight. With no John Brown, he's going to have to be the guy. He led the, uh, the team with 79 yards receiving a touchdown last weekend. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier in the year. We've kind of talked about it all year. I mean, this is a different offense when John Brown is not on the field. I mean, he's a guy that can kind of distract the secondary. He runs the deep routes well. He's gotten better at the short routes as well. So not having him there, I think, is definitely a big loss for this Bills offense, and they need to make up production. They do, and I think the the thing that's so interesting about this team, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about them towards the end of the show. We'll lead you right into Monday Night Football with Oswego's own Steve Levy. We should try to get him on for a spot on our one of our Monday shows just to, to yeah, preview I'm sure he's not busy the, the at all. Game. Yeah, I'm what sure he's not busy right at all. Now? 
he, uh, he, getting the spotting charts ready. Maybe hey, he's uh, not speaking. Maybe Bradford. a little pregame chart was done on Sunday. He definitely gets a little pregame tea. I bet though, he's definitely I think he a does the pregame uh, pregame uh, cough drop like I did. Probably yeah, the, the cough the, drop, uh, the tea, the pregame the spelling salt perhaps like we wanted to to do. <laughs> That that's what I, that's what I missed the most. That's the one thing that the the toughest loss of uh of not having a, a hockey season for Oswego State men's or wins is we missed out on the uh the pregame smelling sauce. Oh yeah, we we never got the chance, and it's kind of weird for Steve Levy. I mean, he gets put in this great spotlight of Monday Night Football, and you know some of like the best feelings when you call a game is walking into that stadium, and he probably still gets those feelings, but it's gotta be weird to just walk into an empty stadium knowing you're gonna be one of just a handful of people there to watch it. But he's, he's gotten a couple chances, you know. Tampa Bay has some fans in there. Miami, I think, as well. But here yeah. it's got to be weird. I mean, oh, they're in Arizona. I was going to say, if they were in San Francisco, he might have to wear a mask for the game. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back on the Watling and Owens show, Odd, a historic Odd Man Rush, Luke. Our, our first ever full half hour long on a Monday night. A real, a real big one to to live up to. I mean, when you blessed me with the opportunity to perform the first ever Monday Night Odd Man Rush, I was scared. I won't lie, but I knew that I had it in me to provide you and the people with the greatest Odd Man Rush there could ever be. And yeah, I... in in true Odd Man Rush fashion, Luke, a story not on the rundown takes the lead. It doesn't, and I gotta quickly say I'm glad I gave you the the odd man because yeah I'm I'm a little busy. I had two finals today. I had to make sure that odd man lived up to to the expectations in, in day one. So I'm I'm very happy that I handed it over to you for this week or for this the day. Most, I should say not the for week. the day, not the week. Well, it is the week. We're How are we gonna handle that Thursday. though? How do we handle her Thursday? Because we need to do our picks. Does that mean we only get one odd man a week now? This is this is this is things we haven't thought about. That is, you're right. I mean, we could take away the reset. We'll figure it out. That that's a good. We point. will. We'll figure All it out. Right. So the UNLV quarterback Max Gilliam apologized for eating sushi off of a model during an episode of Below Deck, Below Deck being uh, the Bravo sh- reality show. The episode Gilliam appeared in is called Max and Dax's Excellent Adventures, broadcasted on November 16th. Uh, the Rebels coach Marcus Arroyo was unaware of the incident until Monday. He released a statement saying, I'd like to apologize for my poor judgment while on the show Below Deck. And I acknowledge that I've made a mistake and will learn from that. While it's not my idea nor any of my friends' ideas to eat sushi off a model, I should have exercised better judgment and declined the idea immediately when it was brought up by producers. <laughs> what, a, what a wild statement to have to release. Like, yeah, you know, it was probably poor judgment when I ate sushi off that model. Like, what, when has this statement ever been used in the history of sports? I don't think it ever has. So is the issue because of COVID? Um, is that, is that the, the problem? Because, like, people eat food off other people. I don't think it's a big deal until COVID, right? Oh, well, I don't – you know, I don't think this is a, this is a COVID situation. Maybe it is. Maybe that's why. I thought he was just apologizing because it was a bad look. But, like, why can't – I mean, we've seen James Harden at strip clubs. Like, isn't that a worse yeah. optic than eating sushi off a, a, a model? Like, you know, if, if I'm the UNLV recruiter, I'm like, all right, our guys are cool. Like – Let's go. Let's go. Forget showing them the football stadium. Go take the go show this five star recruit what, what kind of sushi you're eating off of, presumably gorgeous models. I mean, yeah, but you know, most of the you know you don't usually hear about the the food eating off of off a of body scenario. You know, that's usually a 
you know, it could be more of a, a private thing. So you don't usually hear, you know, you don't usually see it. Uh, but I got to say this, the apology should be issued for eating sushi in the first place. That, that's wow. my thing. Anyone that eats sushi should have to apologize to the rest of the world for consuming raw fish. That, that's my biggest thing. And, and, and that's how I feel about this. Well, you're anti-fish to begin with, which is a real problem because you don't understand the luxury of a delicious. I don't do fish. I don't do fish. I don't do mustards. Those are about two of the things I don't do. Honey mustard? You're not a honey mustard guy. Ah, uh, not a big honey mustard guy. I can't. You know, I'm not a I'm not a Matt Watling eat Tully's with uh, honey mustard in my co- in my car kind of guy. That's right. Well, you're not a eat Tully's with honey mustard kind of guy in general. You're much more right. of a ranch guy, which is a big problem big, in its own right. Huge ranch guy go through about a bottle a week. Big ranch. That's guy. a problem. That cannot be healthy. Like what? Do a, you eat? Well, you also eat chicken tenders or a chicken tender type of food like every single day. Yeah, I have either tenders or pizza basically every day. So you know, there, there's a lot of ranch in the mix. Uh, sometimes a sandwich, but again, I've been roasted in the past for my sandwiches. So I'm just, I'm just trying to be better for you. I don't think your issue is with the sandwich. It's just when you add the the hamburger bun sandwich to the gogurt and the the cosmic brownie, which I might add is delicious. Yeah, I got it's just it's just a bad look. Today. It's just a bad optic. Yeah, but you know, I was I was tasked with shopping alone last week. Thought it went pretty well. Ended up with a jumbo box of gogurt, but also I did cave today and get some Christmas tree brownies. So I'm sorry for for once again acting like a child in front of you. So serious question on this one: the jumbo box of gogurt. Did yeah. you buy it to spite me because I tweeted a little how bit. much gogurt are you buying? A little bit. It was also a nice deal. I'd never seen the jumbo box before. Really caught my eye, and I'm, I'm just I'm glad I did it. You know, I have a ton of gogurt right now. And your thoughts on the SpongeBob flavors? Uh, very nice. I learned yesterday per gogurt that Mr. Krabs used to be a pirate. Would you consider watching SpongeBob after eating the gogurt? I think so. I think I'm a fan. I think I have to be a fan now. I, I don't want to be. A coward. But again, it's a narrative. It's a narrative. It's like me not taking the SAT. You know, it's it's a narrative that people enjoy the narrative. So I don't know if I can actually watch SpongeBob. It's a great show, I, m- I might add. Uh, to the real news now, the real sports. James Harden, oh, yeah. speaking of him in, in strip clubs, missing <laughs> in action is James Harden. Probably not a strip club, but you, you never really know. He I was at a club. He was, I don't believe it. I think He's that's a little an old baby. picture. I think that's an old picture. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. It's like, is this another Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley situation? I think it is. I think it's a fake. I think it's a, a deep fake, perhaps. Uh, James Harden is not at training camp for the Rockets. He hasn't communicated with his head coach, Stephen Sillis, as well. He told uh, ESPN on Sunday, Sillis saying that uh, for me to make inferences and to think about the possibilities of why he's not here isn't real to me. Uh, what's real is he's not here. He has a reason, but that's on him to tell whoever what his reason is. And I get it. You want to go win a championship, but this is a really bad look. And yeah. I don't mind requesting trades and trying to force your way out, but show up because this is so disrespectful to your teammates. This is so disrespectful to your fans. And I mean, look, Houston's given you a lot. They've acquiesced to all of your demands. Show them some respect. They're trying to move you, but they're not going to move you for peanuts. Look at what they did for Russell Westbrook. They arguably won that trade to get John Wall and a first-round pick. I mean, come on. Grow up. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me is Houston is, has catered to, to everything James Harden's asked for. I mean, 
They got John Wall, who I think is a great fit with James Harden in Houston. Like, no one's no one wants a forty-one million dollar contract right now. I mean, in general, maybe not at all. But during COVID, no one wants to pony up forty-one million dollars to pay James Harden. And I get, you know, Houston will probably have to pay for part of that. But also, if you're Houston, you're like, we have one of the greatest scores of all time on our roster right now. He's been happy with us. He signed the max contract. He's wanted to stick around. And now all of a sudden he wants out. And I don't know where I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if it's you know, we talked about if it's the owner situation going on there or something else. But like you said, I mean, you gotta you gotta grow up right now. I mean, he wants to win a ring and I get that, and that's what his mom's saying, but you have a great chance to win a ring in Houston this year. You know, where are you going right now that that definitely wins you a ring? You know, if you go to the Nets, they're unloading their entire bench to get you. You know, that's just you, Katie, and Kyrie. That's not a guaranteed ring, especially with the depth that some of these Western Conference teams have. Like, the the Rockets are in a good spot. I think they're the third or fourth best team in the West right now. It's not out of out of the realm of possibility for him to win a ring right now. And I just, I don't know. And it, it is what you were alluding to. His mom uh, said that he's doing what's best for his career. He asked for a chance to get a ring. Anyone in their right mind in this business would do that. That's true. But who, who's? Do we know the last time an NBA player held out like this for this reason? I no. just I don't think we've seen it. I mean, look at Donovan Mitchell. He's barely made the playoffs. Right? In Phoenix. And you, Are you talking about Devin needs, Booker. You're talking about yeah. Devin Booker. Yeah. Again, 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 again mixed up. <laughs> look, they're 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 the same two <laughs> random teams in the West. Like, do we really even care about the Western Conference? <laughs> East Coast buys for life. But okay. again, like there's teams that have been on or players that have been on real bad teams that don't complain like this. And this yeah. is a guy that was, what, in the Western Conference Finals two years ago? With a lead of, what, 3-1, 3-2? Like, they were a game Something, away from I one mean, of the finals. You're not a bad team anymore. You've gotten some nice pieces. Just show up. Yeah, you, you just got to show up. And and that's, yeah, to me, that's the biggest thing is you're under contract. They're paying you $40 million. Just go to training camp. John Wall is probably like, yo, where's James Harden? Like, I want to get to work. You saw Russell Westbrook show up to the Wizards. Went to practice early, grinded hard. You know, I don't, I don't need all that eyewash, but at least he's trying. You know, James Harden isn't even trying, and eh, I think that's the biggest problem. And we'll move on now to, to Zach Wheeler and the Philadelphia Phillies. There's reports over the weekend they were looking to trade Wheeler and his five-year, $118 million contract. There's four years left on that one. But now the managing partner of the Phillies, John Middleton, said that that's absolutely not true. There's no requirement that the team move on from him and his big contract. And any person or executive from other teams that are saying that is lying. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw the full quote of what he said. He said he wouldn't trade Zach Wheeler for Babe Ruth. That, that, that's actually what he said. He said he would not trade Zach Wheeler for Babe Ruth. I mean, I wouldn't either. Babe Ruth cannot play baseball right now. <laughs> that, that's a good point. I mean, Babe Ruth's – I feel like Babe Ruth's coffin can knock out a few homers. Like, I mean, you know, maybe – Maybe he could he could figure the, it out. The, but, ba- the barrel percentage would be through the roof. Yeah, I mean, as, as wide think of as his own coverage. Is. Think of his own coverage. It'd be incredible. I mean, we we if you just if you just put Babe Ruth's coffin on home plate, it'd probably be able to hit like four hundred. You wouldn't be able to run to first though. That'd be an issue. But towards the end of Babe Ruth's career, he had other dudes run the base for him anyway, so it might it might he work really? out. Yeah, he would hit a home run, run to first, and then go back to the dugout. That's awesome. What a, what, what a guy. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that's true. What if Babe Ruth never actually existed? Because he played, what, in like the 30s? 
I've read a lot of interesting. Yeah, the thirties. I've heard a lot of interesting things about Babe Ruth. I think he existed. I'd like to believe he existed, but yeah, you're right. Maybe he didn't exist. Maybe like, do we have the, any proof that he existed? I mean, I guess like eyewitness accounts would would probably work. I guess, from, yeah. from back in the day, I think people went and saw him play. You know, that could that could be a thing. But what if this is kind of like <laughs> the scenario where like it's kind of like a broken telephone where like it starts like oh, with hit a home run. Oh, like the man's like seven feet tall. So oh, like the man eats hot dogs while he's playing and rounding the bases. Like could it have gotten to that extent where like maybe he was just like an average dude like Adam Adam, you know? Yeah, he could have been like larger than life. Yeah, for sure. I I could buy that, but. Yeah, getting quickly back to Zach Wheeler, it's kind of weird because this started off as like a fans with sources type thing. Like it was kind of floating around on Twitter. Then it was picked up by some of the bigger writers. And then now it's being disputed. Like it'd be really a mess if the Phillies just signed Wheeler and Harper to these big contracts. And Harper's name was kind of floated around too. Like you just committed like $400 million to these two guys and you're going to, you're going to trade both of them away. Like, ah, it's a, it's a bad look. I mean, the Phillies have lost likely in excess of over a hundred million dollars due to COVID. I mean, cry. they've already laid off 80 employees. Like what do you mean cry? Like that's money. Like if you lose a hundred okay. million dollars, and they've been making somewhere. more money than ever the last 10 years before that. Like it's not, they're going to be fine. They, like they will be okay. I promise you they'll be okay. I mean, they might not be able to sign real Muto. But I don't care about the, I don't care about the Phillies owners as much as I would care about their employees. Like at the end of the day. But, but would you, I don't know. Like, Sure, you don't care, but that's what business owners do. To make money and to sustain your, your business, you cut costs so you can make a net positive. You make a net income. And if you're not getting it from a payroll you're probably on your players, you're probably getting it from other areas. You know, you're not going right, to well. accept such a big loss. And I, I think we saw in the NBA, each coach or each uh, owner will get $30 million to offset some COVID-related losses. Maybe the MLB is doing that too, Possibly, but also like, I haven't seen I, anything yet. I don't know if the NBA has the money to do that. Like, how do you have three hundred million dollars to just give away? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how the MLB is handling that. It, it's just a. It's definitely a weird scenario going on with around MLB with all the free agents and stuff like that. And and obviously this kind of plays into that as well. Now, Luke, the the best part of an of an odd man rush on a Monday, you would oh, say yeah. is the football, right? The football talk. Well, we've got roughly ten minutes or so here. Nine, if we're being exact for some great football stories, and we'll start with the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. Battle of the Frauds, round two. Baker Mayfield's back. The Browns win 41-35. to They led 38-7 to in the first half. Baker throws four touchdowns in the first half. A season high, 334 yards. And the Browns are still frauds. They are frauds. And also, can I just say the Steelers, I mean, they're tied 17-17 right now. Washington has the ball four minutes left. Like, the Steelers are such frauds. Everyone in the AFC is a fraud. Even the Chiefs have their holes. Like it's it maybe maybe what it is is they're all just like kind of good, but no one's great. Like could that be it? But I will say I was really impressed with Baker Mayfield. I thought he he read the field extremely well against you know not a great Titans defense, but he looked great, especially in that first half. They kind of took the foot off the gas. But you know this is a team that I don't think anyone wants to face in the playoffs because they have two great running backs. They have a good defense. I'm not saying they're going to you know, make a run at the Super Bowl, but they're a really tough out, I think, on any any given Sunday. They certainly are, and it kind of leads me to a couple points. Where one, this is the Browns' first winning season in, it's got to be at least 15, 20 years. They haven't made the playoffs since 2002. But the AFC as a whole, Luke, they're, they're all kind of frauds, and we kind of touched on it with the Steelers. There's 
five teams with at least eight wins. The Bills are eight and three. They're looking for win number nine, uh, what, tonight. The Titans are eight and four. The Browns are nine and three. The Dolphins and Colts are eight and four. Have we seen this many eight-win teams before and none of them are really good? Yeah, it's it's just been kind of a, a beating up of, of bad teams, which you have to do, obviously. But it's it's weird because really in the NFL as a whole, I don't know who I trust like at all. The Saints, I guess. Like I don't fully trust the Packers. I don't trust the defense. I don't trust the Rams. Like I feel like everyone kind of has their flaws right now. So it's really interesting. I think these playoffs are going to be really fun. I wonder how COVID impacted the training camps. Like because the Bills' defense has gotten better and they've been hurt for a while. So I wonder if you know you get those injuries out of the way during the preseason. You know those those soft tissue kind of injuries. Those 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 stresses. Those those uh, pulled hamstrings. Whatever. Maybe the defenses just took a step back, and now they're finally getting back to 100% across the league. If you look at it, wouldn't you almost trust out of those five teams, the Bills, if their defense can come back? Because you know, we don't trust the Browns. I think Baker Mayfield will fall off. You know, you no, can yeah. figure them out. The Dolphins, I, I definitely don't trust with Tua. The Colts, they almost lost to Houston on Sunday. Boneheaded pick by me regardless, but they only win by six. I thought it was a great uh, pick. The Colts covered. Houston did not. I think the Bills are the, the team out of these five that I trust the most. Well, are you including – so is this – again? this is excluding the Chiefs and the Steelers, right? Then, yeah, I, I would That's say right, that yeah. – Those two teams are in a class of their own. I'm talking about the, the second-tier teams. Then, yeah, I think the Bills are probably towards the top of that list, and I think Cleveland is right up there with them. I mean, again, if you can basically stack the box and make Baker Mayfield beat you, you probably have good chances – but, I mean, he looked really good and really comfortable early on in that Tennessee game. And I liked what I saw from him. You know, a lot of people hate Baker. I don't really hate him. I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. So, I'm glad that he's playing well right now. I mean, Cleveland's a fun team. And they're a fan base that's been so miserable for so long. Like, this is a fun story. I'm glad they're playing this well. It really is. And we'll go from Baker Mayfield and, and playoff wins and the excitement to the 1-11 Jacksonville Jaguars. Oof. And, and Gardner Minshew... Cleared from his thumb injury, still not playing. He said he was basically begging Doug Marone to put him in and play this game. He says it sucks. There's no way around it. I want to be there. I want to help our team. But if the team is, but if helping our team is me being the best number two I can be, and that's what I've got to do right now. Uh, Doug Marone has Mike Glennon as their starting quarterback, saying that he thinks that Glennon gives him a better chance to win the game. And also notes that Gardner Minshew's unhappiness is not really a problem between the two. There's been a lot of communication, but I just don't understand this because we know what Mike Lennon is. We know he's not a starting caliber quarterback on a good team. I don't know if Gardner Minshew is or is not. I would lean towards he's not, but wouldn't you rather give him the chance? Yeah, I would much rather figure out exactly what you have with Gardner Minshew because this is a big draft. I mean, if the Jaguars don't get that number one pick, if they don't get Trevor Lawrence, then – you know, do they take Justin Fields or do they go another route? Do they think just or Gardner Minshew is the guy or not? Like, that's what I want to see, and we haven't been able to see that. Like, with Mike Glennon at quarterback, it just feels like they want to lose. Like, he's Mike Glennon. He's not great. He's not terrible. But he's a backup quarterback. You know, Gardner Minshew, like you said, I kind of lean towards him being a backup, but he's had a really good year. I mean, 13 touchdowns, five picks. He's done a good job taking care of the ball. High completion percentage at 66%. Like, I'd like to see what Gardner Minshew could do. Figure out if he's a starting quarterback or not. But if he's not good enough to outduel Mike Glennon, maybe that's our answer. Maybe that's our answer. And they're going to take Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence regardless of what pick they get. 
Maybe yeah. that's what it ends up being. But Yeah, I know. And I completely agree with that. It's just kind of interesting or, or weird. But again, the Jags are playing close games right now. So it's it's kind of it's a weird balance of things going on right now. And we'll move on to our last couple of stories. The Chargers were were just completely demolished 45 nothing. The biggest shutout loss in Chargers history. Uh Justin Herbert throws two interceptions. Really didn't look great. He threw it for 50 he threw it 50 times for 209 yards. The first time without a passing touchdown in his career. And my biggest issue in this game isn't the score. It's the fact that Justin Herbert threw 50 times. That's yeah. how you put up that's how you put a rookie quarterback in a really bad spot against a guy as good as Bill Belichick. I mean, that is, you know, that is franchise malpractice to some extent if you're going to throw your quarterback out there and make him throw 50 times. And not to mention, they did almost the exact same thing last week against the Bills. He threw 52 times. Like, he, the last two weeks, they've just basically, like, been like, all right, Justin Herbert, go throw it. Like, that, yeah, to me, that's completely – I mean, it's awful. It's awful for Anthony Lynn, especially when you get Austin Eckler back. You want to get your run game going, but instead you have to – I get it. You know, when you go down big, you have to throw the ball. But, man, it's just hanging him out to dry. And I like Justin Herbert. And obviously, the you know, him looking bad the last two weeks I don't think is uh, a trend that we're going to see. But it's just a really bad look, I think, for the Chargers and for Anthony Lynn. I mean, it seems like every single week there's another bad story that, that surrounds him. And everyone seems to – Assume he's fired, but Ian Rapport says not that might not be the case. He'll make it to the end of the year, according to Rapport of NFL Network. He says that the charge will consider that 14 and 4 record from the 2018 season in their decision to keep him or fire him. And look, this team's so different from 2018. I don't know how you consider that. Yeah, they, they are com- a completely different team. And, and there's still a little bit of the, the charges in them. I mean, they've been playing close games, but this was just a, a mess of a, of a game well, against the what's Patriots. What's that one common denominator then? Losing Anthony games Lynn. and their head coach. Anthony yeah. Lynn. That's yeah, the common denominator. You can't win new games. these games the last two years. It's not Philip Rivers' fault anymore. It can't be Justin Herbert. It can't be the defense. It's got to be Anthony Lynn at this point. And – there's a lot of good coaches out there. You don't even need a great coach. You need a serviceable one, and I don't know if Anthony Lynn is that. The final story is uh, Boomer Sison. He works with Bill Cower on CBS pre- and post-games on, on Sunday Night Football or Sunday Football. said Cower said that to him, the Jets are the most attractive job in the NFL. Bill Cower loves Joe Douglas, and why does he say all this? Because Joe Douglas, or rather Bill Cower, might come out of retirement and coach the New York football Jets. This would be kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. You know, I think it, it it could end poorly. It's been a while since since Cowher's been in the league, but he's a no-nonsense guy. He's a guy that's won Super Bowls with the, with the Steelers. I mean, this could be uh, a really interesting scenario for the Jets. But again, is Adam Gase even going to leave? You know, is that going to happen? Would you rather go with a newer guy like an Eric Bieniemy or another guy that could have potential? Or do you go to a guy like Bill Cowher who – he has the pedigree, but he hasn't coached in a while. You know, you don't know what he's bringing to the table, but it would be really interesting because I think he's a guy that would definitely uh, – he's a no-nonsense kind of football guy. If he truly wants to coach in the NFL again, I think he would make not a good head coach, but a great head coach. He would immediately bring legitimacy back to the Jets, and I think of him almost like a Joe Judge type of coach where – He's not going to be the best X's and O's, but he will make sure that you are a well-coached, well-prepared team. And that's all you can ask for if you're the Jets. And, and Luke, your mouth just dropped. I assume something happened on yeah. Monday Night Football Part 1. 
Yeah, uh, the, the Washington football team up by three, just intercepted Big Ben with less than two minutes. And it looks like the, the Washington football team is going to hand the Steelers their first loss of the year. I said it on air on Thursday. Uh, did I say I wanted the, the, the Washington You said you wanted the Steelers. Nice? You said See, you wanted the Steelers. I don't think that's Steelers. true. You can't backpedal. I mean, I didn't pick them, but I feel like – did I really say that? Yeah, you did. You, right. I'm pretty sure. We'll have to go back and read the taste. But that All Washington right. keeps pace with the Giants in the NFC East. It's going to be really interesting down the stretch. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show here on a Monday night. And pretty interesting. We started things off with or our first show back and in, in one of the teams we talked about, the Bills, in action on Monday night. And first drive looking good right now for the Bills. They're already down to the 22-yard line. Some some big completions from Josh Allen to Cole Beasley. And Beasley's been a, an interesting – I think he's he was such a sneaky good pickup two years ago. I mean, he was great last year for the Bills coming over from Dallas. And – you know, I, I I like that move then, and I like it now. He's been a, a real force in the middle of the field. He's kind of like that Jameson Crowder shifty type in the slot. And, you know, he's going to be a, a big reason why the Bills either go far or kind of sputter out at some point. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but apparently Alex Smith's leg was just bleeding. Yes. Did you see that? that? What happened? He got spiked by his center. It was the opposite leg, but – he, he was okay. okay. He was bleeding a lot. There's a lot of blood yeah, on, I see the picture. on the TV going on there. But, uh, yeah, Alex Smith, was he was okay. You know, I I have a take, Matt. I don't, I don't know if I can say it on air, though. I think people might get mad at me. People are overhyping the, the I, I just, no, not overhyping. Alex Smith it, story. It's insane that he came back. But I don't need to – it's like every single game, that's the intro. It's like, all right, Alex Smith's leg, here it is. Like, all right, we've seen it. We've it, seen yeah, it. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it just it – just, you know, being in Oswego Media, we know about narratives getting killed after two weeks. And I guess that's just what happened. Yeah, I, I guess so. And we'll uh, shift quickly over here uh, to Kyrie Irving and the New York Nets, or the, the Brooklyn Nets, I should say, not the New York Nets. Uh, and the Kyrie York Irving, Knicks. yeah, th- that's the other team. Kyrie Irving has said uh, he will not be part or talking to the media, at least to start the year. And he says, uh, COVID-19 has impacted us all in many ways, so I pray for the safety and health of our communities. Uh, he goes on to say, instead of speaking to the media today, I'm issuing a statement to ensure that my message is being conveyed properly. I'm committed to show up to work every day, ready to have fun, compete, perform, and win. With the Nets, his goal this season is to let his work on and off the court speak for itself. Life hit differently this year. It requires us to move differently. This is the beginning of that change. So, Matt, what do you make of Irving deciding not to speak to the media? I have so many different feelings about this because I look at Lamar Jackson of the New York Jets and how he, you know, had the the courage to stand up there after getting burned on the last second play and speak to the media and answer their questions. And I say that that is a move of character. And, you know, say what you want about letting your play speak for yourself. If Kyrie Irving misses a game-winning shot and Kevin Durant was open, I want to hear from him. I want to hear why he took the shot. I do. I really do. I want to know why you thought that you had a better shot if you were guarded hypothetically than the second best player in the NBA, the best player in the NBA before his injury and coming to rank. I want to know about that. And he's given, he's taking that away from us. So we better hope that the Nets are doing well or else there's going to be a lot of questions rumbling around. Yeah. And I don't want to say this is a cop out because I think his message is, is important. He's saying there's other things going on. 
I want to make myself clear. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to do this, this, and this. But again, it feels like if, you know, a scenario like you mentioned arises, or if we hear about, you know, something happened at the next practice, you know, Steve Nash and Kyrie, you know, got into an altercation. I want to know Kyrie's side of that. I want to know what happened. And this kind of opens up a weird kind of dangerous avenue where we don't get to hear from him. And, you know, we're both, we're both journalists. We're not, you know, covering the nets or anything like that, but it's, it's important to, to communicate with the media. It's important to have those relationships because he, you know, if you're Kyrie Irving, you want to get your side of things out. You don't want to just have the media constantly blasting you for things when you don't get to make that statement. So I think it hurts both sides here. It hurts Kyrie Irving and also hurts the media because he's not going to get a fair shake of things if things go down. But also does that matter to Kyrie Irving? You know, you say it's important. Probably not. Important, but does he care about what the media says? You know, I think so. Look at how he's reacted in, in Boston and other times. You know, he's a he's a strange dude. And I, I don't know. Like, I say this was a cop-out in the sense that there's no reason to use COVID as an excuse to not talk to media in this scenario. You it's know, Zoom. If you, to, to, <laughs> yeah. through Zoom. But also, who am I to say what he's going through? Right. You know? And that's, and that's why, that's why I kind of lean, you know, I'm kind of on the fence here, but I do lean as I don't really mind that Kyrie's taking the stance. Like, I don't know. He's been a guy that's always done things like this. You know, he's never cooperated fully with the media to the extent that they'd want him to. So he's just kind of coming out and saying, like getting ahead of it in a way. And I think that could go wrong. It could go completely wrong. Or maybe he just wants to focus on his game. But again, I feel like it's become a custom or almost a right of the media to have access to the players. And by Kyrie blocking that access, I think it could be a negative thing. And, and also you look at media, like in New York, especially the media paints the story of the sports landscape in New York, especially with the amount of newspapers and, and talk shows and things like that. You look at a guy like Adam Gase, he's been destroyed in the media and that, that impacts the fans view of things. If Kyrie can't get his, his opinion out there, then the the fans' perspective is getting changed because the media, you know, they can do your job, their job with or without the quote from Kyrie Irving, and they can explain the sport. But for the media to ask questions for Kyrie, it gives him a chance to explain his side, like you said, Luke, and also provide with re- reasons or excuses for certain things. And when you don't have excuses, then you're then you're out of luck because the media can only say what they thought and what they saw. And I think the media in, in Boston was one of the biggest factors why Kyrie Irving ended up leaving Boston. I think that's one of the major reasons why the he's Boston not there The media anymore. is such a joke. Their sports radio is so obnoxious. It is. It is obnoxious and it is, you know, Boston. But, you know, New York is a, an even bigger market than that. And I think it's important to, to maintain those relationships. But again, like you said, maybe Kyrie doesn't care. It's just not the right city, I think, to do something like that. And at the end of the day, he can do what he wants. But, you know, the Nets are, are, are a team now. They're they might they're not up there with the Knicks, but when this came out and when Steve Nash and the press conferences came out, they were the top story on a lot of sports talk shows in New York, and that's something I did not expect to see. But it happened, and now Kyrie has to understand that with these expectations comes the attention, and he better hope that that they play well because the attention again can make or break you. 